Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Getting Hammered. I'm your host, Mary Catherine Ham. I'm here with my friend, Vic Mattis. He is an editor at Free Beacon and co-host of The Sub Beacon, which you can find on Patreon. How are you doing, Vic? Uh, I'm doing fine, Mary Catherine. So in my son's school, they've just started reading To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh. And uh, Banned some places. That's what I'm going to say, because I don't think that book would do well in the current environment, or, or at least in the last few years, to say that you're going to write a book about a, a white woman who comes on to a, a, a white married woman who comes on to a black man, he rebuffs her, and then she re- accuses him of rape. I, that's just, I don't know if that's going to work. Yo, and and the, the complaint often, and it has been taken off out of curriculums or out of the canon in various, various cities and municipalities mm-hmm. because of its white savior problem. Because Atticus, oh, right, of course. Well, which Atticus the does rest. the right thing, so it seems unfair that that's the reason we're. Yeah, should he have not? Okay, mm. and also context, the time. You know, yeah. this is I don't know. Okay, but one of the other interesting things is, uh, as part of their assignment, the, the whole class is doing a a celebration of Southern cooking uh, day, yes. and so they had to choose from a list of things, right, of what to cook. And so my son tells me, I know I please don't tell me it's going to be something really complicated, you know, or something that takes a lot of time, like because collard greens was on the list. And I know, but that just takes a lot of time boiling and everything like that, or hop and john, which I've never done or fried chicken, because you'd have to fry it and then bring it to, you know, at least to feed six or eight kids. So no, the funniest thing is he chose something called ham biscuits. Oh, yeah. I have, I have no idea. By the way, Brunswick stew is also on the list. And that's up your alley. I would have asked for your recipe. So no, we have to do something called ham biscuits, which I assume is more than just ham on biscuits. Do you do that? Have you had it? Yeah, so generally they are smaller biscuits. So they're sort of like okay. bite-sized. Okay. It's a bit, a bit like past hors d'oeuvres. Okay. Oh, good to know. Yes. Uh, at least in our family. And then you have a country ham style of ham that is much saltier than Uh, even regular ham. uh uh (laughs) And that is what you put on there. And sometimes people put a little, uh, like, like spicy mustard or something. Yes. So this apparently there is a recipe and Southern living has one too, but it just basically involves, you know, um, mixing the ham and a lot of butter. And other yeah, things. It's, it's and mostly you use it. an assembly project. You, yeah, you don't have no, to do too much. And you can put use it, apparently use it, put it all together in a food processor and you spread it on. So thing, we oh, might they're cheat. spreading, huh? We don't Yeah, spread. it looked it looked we like just... it like it's all mushed together, like the ham is oh. completely mixed in with the butter and everything else. But I think my we Georgia might... and North Carolina roots yeah. want to fact check this. Yes, I yes. About... I'm not sure either. I'm not sure. I wouldn't know because if this was Jersey food, it would be easier for me to do. <laughs> like, oh, you got to do scungeal and linguine or brajol. Oh, great, great. You know, then I could do that, but I, I can't do. I this will be it. I'll let. I will keep you posted. Okay. Well, I could have given you my five generations back recipe for pimento cheese. That because that would good. certainly qualify. Some, yes. Yes, most definitely. It's an uh, ancient and simple recipe. Michael would really, he Michael would have liked it because it would have been easy. <laughs> yes, I, yeah, exactly. Because well, I know it's going to be me. But anyway, how are you? I'm good. We've got a lot on the program for you guys today. We got Ukraine news. Obviously, mm-hmm. we have news from Florida. We have we have some journalists being jerks online. You know, it happens every week. Shocking. Some news about Hispanic voters, but. Before all that, I need to do the most important story, which is 
Let me brush my shoulders off uh-huh. and uh, check my nails. Talk about my rowing. So you're doing it and it's happening. I already did it. What? I did it because I told you guys I was going to, I had to, which was my plan. And then I had to perform well because I knew I'd have to report back. So I can report to you guys that my 2000 meter row, I am a 41 year old woman who had a baby four months ago (laughs) was I was shooting for under eight minutes. Yeah. 739. Oh, which I'm informed is quite a good time. You know what though? I never had any doubt. I never had any doubt. You're very fit. Now, where did this take place? It's at my gym. I'm, a, I'm okay. part of the Orange Theory cult. Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, so you get on the rower and yes. everybody is together doing their thing. Well, no, I'm, I'm oh. blowing white right past these guys. I'm not together. No, no. <laughs> Far yeah, and you, away ahead of the pack. You smoked them. You smoked them. <laughs> I did this time. And it was my third event. So we did floor and treadmill. And then I did rower. And I still... Met you my goal. Firing up, you know, you're very focused. No, oh, well, That's especially it. when I have to report publicly. And no, don't it's you know what it's it, it, it's it's like having somebody to if you supposedly if you run with or if you're working out with versus being alone, then you have somebody who kind of goads you on, right? I mean, yes. this accountability is, this is, is important. Like. Luckily, uh, my husband lives in my house, so I have accountability on everything all the oh, time. That's twenty four seven. 24-7 accountability. I got to tell you, it feels great. It feels great. I, I know. I, I witnessed this in part. The time that you came over our house and he was fired and I couldn't resist but showing him, you know, the little weights that we have downstairs and, and he, my son and I, and he's, he's coaching us. We were yeah. fired up, you know, and I, yeah. can, I, I can imagine. Well, I'm, I hope he's very proud of you. Well, it was, I was, I was proud of myself. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I've made my comeback. My comeback. You, know, and you, you, you can treat yourself now. Uh, he he was proud of that. It was, it was a pretty it was a pretty decent time. So good. That was um, a very good time. Although I looked at my my past records because they're in my app, which I didn't know. I looked at my past records and mm-hmm. I could have beaten myself if I had taken two more seconds off. And if I had known that, I would have done it. But I did well, not. I will tell you what though: two seconds, like much like in running, when you got want to shave off some time, it's harder than it is. Yeah, easier I, said it, than it's, done. It's easier yeah. said than done. Yeah, and you don't yeah. want to psych yourself out if you're thinking that you have to be. You know. Before we get to the news, one more, one more, uh, what else, what else thing about the, the, the girls this morning, as I was loading them up to get to school, uh, the baby woke up just before we were leaving. I'm loading everyone into the car. There's all sorts of miscommunications, even though we lay out the outfits the night before, and we do the same thing every single day. Somehow we cannot get it together in time <laughs> to leave on time for school. Luckily okay. school is like four feet from my house. So we have that going for us. But I am uh, slightly annoyed, as I am sometimes when this happens. And uh, and my oldest says, Mom, you can be kind of funny when you're annoyed. And I said, that's the secret to my success. It's daring. (laughs) It's daring for the kid to point out when you are in a state. I mean, my daughter, my son will never say anything like that to, to Kate, but my daughter does. And I'm like, are you insane? Well, see, my children have... The thing about them is that they know they're funny and uh, when they, cr- they know they can crack me that way. <laughs> and right. it oh, is, that's good. It's a good tactic then. Yes, it is. No, I have oh. to admire the game. I gotta. <laughs> yes. They know how to, you know what? They know, the player, how to not the game, so. they know how to diffuse the situation. Yes. Speaking of undiffused situations, Uh-oh. Vic. Oh yeah. I kind of thought we might, I, I thought we might be going there. We are, we are going to talk about Ukraine and it's, it's a heavy thing to start with. There is a humanitarian part of this. Yeah. 
I'm going to say that again so that we get that beep out of there. There is a humanitarian part of this, military and strategic, and then energy costs back home. So we'll start Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. humanitarian briefly. Russia was condemned this week for for bombing a hospital that had children and pregnant women in it, some apparently injured while in labor, which I cannot, it's hard to imagine a hardship like that. That is, that's very bad. So that is what's going on in some places on the ground. This is a, a town called Mariupol. Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, militarily and strategically, the US and Poland and Ukraine are trying to Mm -hmm. get on the same page about how to send old MiGs, which you will, which you will know from Top Gun. Yes, that's right. (laughs) That's, that's the reference point of my audience. I know you guys. (laughs) Uh, I'm looking forward to clarifying, by the way. (laughs) So to send MiGs to Ukraine, because that is what pilots there can fly. And the idea is to get them through Poland into Ukraine. The issue becomes, is this an act of aggression from a NATO country or would it be read that way by Russia if you pass them through Poland Mm -hmm. or take off from Poland? And then that gets us into a trickier situation. But Zelensky's on the ground saying, hey, you guys have told me you're going to get me this stuff for two weeks now and I need it because there are, you might have noticed, hospitals with women in labor being bombed. And Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State Blinken, had said last week that this was a green light. Yeah, and then that's right. Then not so much. So here we are. The interesting thing is, as you said, and we were just discussing this, that this was going to happen. And as 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 recently as uh, last weekend, that it was really a logistical issue and and Blinken was on board. And then when the the polls explained, okay, well, we're going to send our jets to Germany. And then from there they can go and immediately say, oh, no, no, no. You want to come to Germany? No, no, no. You got to do this yourself. We don't want to actually get involved. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to, we're afraid of setting off Putin. And I kept on thinking, I don't know, maybe he's already set off, you know, because he seems set off. Uh Yes. And I, and I, and I, and I can't help but think, uh, and John Podhortz talks about this sort of like, oh, we don't want to provoke them. It's a two-way street. The Russians should also be worried about provoking us Oh, you know, shouldn't they be worried that what our reaction is going to be if they, I don't know, bomb a hospital for kids and pregnant women? I mean, shouldn't that be a word, let alone using, deciding to use a tactical nuke? As far as the the MiGs are concerned, it would be great if they could get a hold of, everyone talks about how outdated the MiG-29 is. It's still, it's better, it's better than, you know, nothing obviously. And that convoy is still sitting there. They're like sitting ducks, the Russian convoy. And if they had any sort of, you know, air power and were able to launch airstrikes, I think it would be a big game changer. And it doesn't matter if it's MiG-29, the 27, the 25 Fox bat. Uh, Before I entered into this world of journalism, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. Nice. And then I realized I sucked at math, but I memorized all the stats of these of these of these planes, the MiG twenty five has a Mach two point eight. It's faster than the F fifteen, but a less maneuverable. But anyway, again, better than nothing. Um, well, and the so- MiG, the, the the funny thing is the the top, in Top Gun they called them MiG twenty eights, and they were in fact like F fives. I think. Oh really? F, yeah, they were like F five Tiger Sharks or F five the North F five the Freedom Fighter, the F twenties the Tiger Shark. But that's what it was. The MiGs are designated with odd numbers 21, yeah. 23, 24. So it's funny that they said 20, but they just coated the plane in black. Well, you know, I know a stat. I know, a, I yeah. know an important stat. What do you got? 
It's that you have to be inverted to give the bird to the pilot. <laughs> I thought it was impossible. Yeah, I thought it I was got, impossible, yeah. but they proved it. So, you know, amid, again, it shows that, you know, we've had these previous engagements before with the Soviets and, 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 you know, oh, oh that was a movie. Never mind. So, I mean, I understand <laughs> that they're worried, but we should also be worried about Ukraine falling. Well, so, yes. And here, here's my other concern is that if, if we're going to say yes, or we're going to say no, or we're going to do some half measure where mm-hmm. we separate ourselves from this action, could we just be on the same page about that? Because saying yes and then saying, oh, not sure, does not, it doesn't help yeah. anyone. It a, divi- help anyone. a divided NATO is, uh, uh, Putin would love nothing more than that. But I'll tell you uh, what is going to help. As, <laughs> oh, no. as a charter <laughs> member of the Kamala Harris fan club, I can tell you that she is heading to Poland amid this discussion. However, the White House officials have said that she's not in Poland to make any deals, whether it be on humanitarian aid or the transfer of military equipment. She's just, she's just there. She's just there. This is, it's, you know, it would be better if they just use the ambassador, perhaps, who, by the way, is Mark Brzezinski, who I know, nice fella. And uh, we went to a conference together, but does she really add anything? Does she, is she adding to sort of that feeling of confidence and that, you know, oh, they can sleep better at night now that she's over there and they're finding these wonderful choice, little sound bites already, right? People are having right. a field day finding, whether it be the laughter. If I were her press plaque, what I would say is, you know what? The laughter is, it's, it's, it dis- it's disarming. Yes. That's what it is. It's disarming. Yes. It's that infectious laugh is meant to disarm. <laughs> Look here, here's the thing. I, I'm going to give myself a, you love to hear it. Cause I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for Kamala. There's one video going around where she's taking questions and she and the Polish leader she's speaking with are not sure who's going to take the question. And they both sort of break into laughter yes. now. Oh, it's so t- tempting to dunk on Kamala at every moment, but this one seemed like everyone had a moment and everyone laughed. So this was not one of her weirder laughs, but if I were her advisor and I know that reportedly she does not take a lot of advice. Yes. I I would suggest just, just, we need to train the laughter out of these, these very serious. Because we're talking about this immigration crisis. It's it's a nervous tick. She's, she's not sure what she's going to say. And so she's laughing. That's what I smile sometimes or smirk have mm. been known to do it on TV where I'm caught with the wrong look on my face. Okay. Uh, I understand, but you gotta, you gotta work on that. Gotta work on it. <laughs> so I'm not totally dunking on her. If you see that clip going around, it does seem yeah. like everyone was a little confused. In yes, that it was fine. And I would immediately, I would, I would likewise defer first to Mr. Duda, who yeah. is the leader of Poland. That's right. Uh, Meanwhile, yeah. we have cost back home, which is um, hitting it's happening. all of us and all of you. Gas prices were, of course, rising a lot before the Ukraine issue. Mm -hmm. And then the Biden administration made the right move by not continuing to buy Russian Mm -hmm. oil. But that, of course, cuts down our supply, which was always which was already an issue. Yeah. Russian oils. From what I can gather, replacing Russian oil isn't that easy because you have to match the crude level yeah and there's uh, different from different countries come different kinds of oil. right so replacing it is a bit of a battle in and of itself even if it's even if it's not the largest 
amount of oil that we're replacing, it takes some strategic work and some, some money. And then there's also the question of domestic oil production, which the Biden administration is not super keen on. And I'm going to play a little, a little soundbite of Jen Psaki. The additional permits. So would the president. What additional permits do they need? There's no, they have, the leases are there. The permits are there. I don't think they need an embroidered invitation to drill. That is their oil companies. (laughs) They don't actually want to tell them, please drill. They don't want to be on record by saying, we need you to make more oil. You know what to do and just leave it at that. You know, it's like the way mobsters talk to each other. Oh, you just take care of that thing. Yeah, I I, I will do that thing, you know, it's, but you need, you need, you need leases for you need these permits for like right of way for example yes. and, and there's and yeah here, here's the here's a rule of thumb there's always red tape that can yeah. be cut okay yeah, that's the, right giving the answer especially in an energy context that oh, what else could we do to help there's yeah. definitely things you can do to help yeah there that's are, right and one one of the issues by the way is that the administration's hostility to domestic energy production oh is huge. in its in and of itself mm-hmm something that inhibits production because they don't know when you're talking about, I don't know, getting off of fossil fuels entirely, Mm -hmm. talking about your open hostility to the, to the execs who do these things and make these decisions. Do they want to make giant risks and invest a lot of money when they don't know what the environment will be like? And by that, I mean, political environment will be like, so, so they have that on their plates. Now the prices may indeed spur some of them to take bigger risks because that's how the market works. But I think in, right. the, in the Biden administration, there is a fundamental misunderstanding of how these things go. That's right. And, 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 and the companies, they know they, they can read the writing on the wall, right? They know that in the long term that the Democrats have it in for them regarding fossil fuels. You know, I mean, the Democrats have already held these hearings where they were scolding you know, the CEOs of oil and gas companies for, you know, you need to do more to drill us. And this is obviously before Ukraine. So Ukraine moment happens. Why aren't you drilling more? But as soon as this thing is resolved, they're going to go back down and cracking down. In fact, the Biden administration, they have a nominee, you know, to be the vice chair of supervision for the Fed, Sarah Bloom Raskin, the wife of Congressman Jeremy Raskin. And she wants to penalize financial institutions that do business with fossil fuel companies. So, from their perspective, do they really want to be pouring in hundreds of millions or billions of dollars into, you know, these areas to drill more when they're going to get punished for this later? That's, that's uh, it. That's, there are also uh, more stringent fuel efficiency regulations in the recently passed infrastructure bill. Mm-hmm. Council on Environmental Qualities removal of reforms to streamline and improve federal environment review permitting processes would, mm-hmm. would be a thing you could do. The Jones Act, which makes it hard to move crude from parts of one part of America and ship it to another part of America to be refined where we could do the refining uh, could also be suspended. It's like a hundred year old law that we don't need. And we could just put the brakes on that. But there's all this, there's just, you're exactly right. There's, they don't want to say anything in support of these explorations because they don't want to be on record supporting them. That's right. That's right. And in terms of red tape, I think uh, it does take about 140 days to approve. Uh, a permit lease for the government. So yeah. in addition to everything else. I was, I don't, I don't often discuss like a ton of politics with my, with my kids. We talk about, you know, principles and, and Must history, be nice. but we don't, <laughs> but we don't do a ton of politics. 
nonetheless, the other night I was, I found out my, my baby who doesn't laugh very often. I discovered what she really enjoys. And it's me ranting about energy policy to my husband in a baby voice. Are you ready for this? Okay. Holly, didn't we tell them 10 years ago? We said drill. He said drill. <laughs> we said drill back then and then there would be oil now. But no, they didn't do it. <laughs> they didn't do it and now here we are. And we gotta get, we gotta make deals with Venezuela. It's Saudi Arabia. It's crazy. I was ranting to my husband about this and she kept giggling and I was like, well, let's up the ante. So that's a, that uh, is a amazing. Ending. A yes. ending to a sad conversation. Yes. It's interesting. That's what makes her laugh. You know what? Maybe she's in the Kamala fan club too. But, you know, she knows, she knows the absurdity of it all. That's what she knows. She does. She understands. She intuits. Absurd. You do. Meanwhile, cancellation of Russia proceeds apace yes. uh, to the point that, let me just, canceling makes you stupid. Like just getting really good at canceling yeah. makes you dumber and dumber. Okay. So the, here's the dumbness that we have going on. Uh, in light of Russia's invasion into Ukraine, this is Reason Magazine, many Westerners are understandably doing their level best to distance themselves from President Vladimir Putin and those loyal to him. But some of those gestures look increasingly like performance art. The latest utterly pointless sanction is the Cardiff Philharmonic Orchestra's announcement that it would remove music by Pyotr Ilyich Tchaikovsky, the Russian composer, from its all Tchaikovsky concert, calling it, quote, inappropriate at this time. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's... By the way, in term, I, I'm, whenever they mention like the name of these kind of classical music concerts that, you know, they're going to hold the, the, uh, these, these philharmonics hold these things. I am always reminded of the line from the Simpsons when Homer is trying to get in the good graces of Marge and he buys, you know, tickets to, for an evening with Philip Glass. And he just goes, just one evening, you know, but no, but Tchaikovsky, <laughs> Tchaikovsky, I like, but it is, it is absurd. And I mentioned this also in my, in the piece that I did for the Beacon about the boycotting of Russian vodka and how a lot of what we drink is not you might think it's Russian, but it's not like Smirnoff and Stoli. Somebody sent on Twitter a picture of uh, at a liquor store, a bottle of Stoli, and underneath it says "Product of Latvia, member of NATO." It's just there you before, go. before you See, smash it. Now that's the way to go. That's the way to yeah. go. More, more speech, not less. Right? Let's inform that's right. the people about Latvia. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> right. That's right. But it, no, no, no. That but it, it's crazy, and it goes back to the time of like in you know when bartenders were uh, wanted to boycott the Moscow Mule in 1950. You know, I mean, it was being made next door in Connecticut. So stop the madness is what I think we want. Stop the madness. Yeah. So and and just further. So we so we can take this moment to learn a bit a little bit about Tchaikovsky. He was one of the first and only Russian composers to to reject Russian nationalism and endear his music to the the West. He was very he was yeah. very on board with Russia being more open, and he also loved Ukraine and holidayed there. So that's right. And you know how I know he's not supporting Putin's invasion of Ukraine? He is dead. <laughs> that's another important thing. Once again, context comes up. Yeah. And again, as, as I mentioned uh, in my daughter's piano recital, some other uh, kid was playing. It was like Rachmaninoff, Prokofiev, 
and Shostakovich, and that's fine. And it's interesting to learn more about people like Shostakovich and, you know, how uh, complicated it was back then. And, but every time I see his name, I always think of Rob Lowe and St. Elmo's Fire. I believe he pronounced it Shostakovich. (laughs) Yes. Don't, uh, don't deprive yourself of Russian art guys. We we can, we can handle this. Okay. That's right. McDonald's also gone from, from Russia. Now that is interesting. McDonald's and Coke and yeah. I, my, my, what I wonder is this, you know, okay, I understand there's pressure on these companies not to do business, you know, in Russia. And I assume, I don't know, does a state get a piece of that action in terms of the money that they make in that time? They have to pay taxes or whatever they do in, 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 in Russia. But you're, you, so they're making the lives of Russian, the Russian people more miserable, or at least yes. more annoying and don't well, get I mean, me your, wrong. Your life is definitely more miserable without fries. That is yes. without no, I, quality I had a, McDonald's I had a McDonald's fries. I had a McDonald's breakfast. I know it's supposed to be intermittent fasting. And yet again, I had breakfast. That I couldn't resist. And it's the best meal you can have at McDonald's is breakfast. In any event, is the aim here that enough people will be upset of being deprived of uh, a cumulative deprivation of these things like McDonald's and Coke and everything else, that then they will rise up and force Putin to withdraw from Ukraine, or is this just what? I was about to poo-poo that notion, and then I thought I would probably rise up if someone took my <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> you, no, yeah. I, I guess I, I don't know how I feel about this one, mm-hmm. because I understand the, the desire not to do business in Russia at this point. Mm-hmm. How, I guess the idea is, hey, we thought for a long time that all this trade was going to liberalize a place like Russia, and it turns out that they're getting all the advantages of the trade without being liberalized at the top in any meaningful way. And so if we take away the advantages of the liberal trade, does that change the calculus? Right. I'm not sure that it's going to, but that, so that's on your radar. McDonald's out. Yes. I was surprised. Yeah, because they do a lot of business there. And uh, it's, it's worth remembering. There are some great videos of the opening of McDonald's, uh, which I believe was in 1990. When it opened in Moscow and the thousands and thousands of Russians who wanted to try it for the first time, which has got to be, imagine that wrapped around know. blocks yeah. and blocks. I mean, they they were very used to standing in lines before that. So that's right. No, they stand in line for shoes. Wasn't but, an issue know, for them. It's, it's, now people stand in line for the big rib. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Understandable. Uh, so on the same subject of, of cancellation, cancellation, making you dumber, getting super excited about canceling things means that you sort of forego critical thought about those things. Yes. And there's another event going on in Florida. You may have heard about uh-huh. a school bill that has passed in Florida. Now I'm going to say the, the name of it that the press and its opponents use, right? It's called I'm the shaking don't, my head. don't say gay bill. Okay. That is the name that opponents use. Yeah. As, and uh, it's Governor, catching on. As Governor, yeah. Surprisingly, the media has used it in a just blanket sense across mm-hmm. the across the board but what it look what ends up happening is that we don't actually look at what is in the bill and i find Shocking. that aggravating whether it is the georgia voting bill which was just called horrendous even mm-hmm. though it was more liberal than a place like oh i don't know delaware yeah colorado <laughs> joe biden's home state yeah. But we treat it like it's this horrendous thing. Texas voter suppression law, by the way, they had a primary and numbers up in that primary over 2018 yeah. uh, among Democrats, apparently very unsuccessful suppressing. So in this case, we have 
uh, a bill that is seven pages long, by the way, and two pages of it are a summary. <laughs> and yeah. then you get to the actual bill text. So I don't think that I love the bill, but I, I would love to engage with what's actually in it. So my, my friend Guy Benson and co-author on End of Discussion, which you can find at booksellers everywhere, he went through it. So he says it's seven pages. Okay, here's what I've gleaned from reading the bill and talking to some folks about it. First, I don't think it's fair or helpful for the news media to adopt progressive activist shorthand, don't say gay, to describe the legislation. <laughs> it doesn't actually say that, or it definitely does not ban anyone from saying gay. That's There's a bunch of people just using their Twitter feeds to say gay a bunch as if it's a yeah. protest to this bill, but this bill has, that would obviously be bad, but that's not what's going on. It would be uh, too complicated to explain the truth though. Yes. And it? now, yeah. and there were older versions of the bill that were dumber than this current one. The current mm-hmm. one is that it, it between kindergarten, which is five years old mm-hmm. and third grade, which is about eight, mm-hmm. no sexual identity, quote, classroom instruction. Now it was classroom discussion at one mm-hmm. point, which would be mm-hmm. a broader thing. Now it's classroom instruction. K through three, limiting that kind of instruction is not very controversial. It shouldn't be, except for there are some people who insist that the discussion needs to be had. And, you know, when you hear about this in kindergartens where they're discussing before you even before kids even know how reproduction works. Yeah, that they're having. They want to have the other discussion. And I, I just don't think that's I don't think that's appropriate. Now, well, and if you pulled this among parents. If you pulled not not the thing they say the bill is, but this particular restriction on K through three, this is an 80-20 issue mm-hmm. for adult voters. Like, yeah. and, and this is the thing that kind of annoys me about, about free speech discussions is that all of these curriculum discussions become a free speech discussion. And yeah. liberals are like, don't you believe in free speech? They're taking mm-hmm. these, they're taking this stuff out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. I am as close as you can get to a free speech absolutist for adults. Yeah. When it comes to children, content discussions and curriculum discussions are perfectly appropriate and we will have them all over the country. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I will agree with them and sometimes I will disagree with them. What I disagree with in this bill is that when it gets to um, some of the discussions, he said, guy guy writes uh, one provision, several other transparency components don't bother him because like parents should know what the kids are being taught. But there's a possible red flag with some vague language that says, um, if one section of the bill is interpreted to, to mean that parents must be informed by schools about potential impacts to their kids' emotional and mental well-being, mm-hmm. that may have the effect of forcing schools to out LGBT students to their parents, right? So there, the, yes. the bill would say that, hey, your transparency would go so far that you would have to, a counselor or a trusted teacher would have to report to the parents if a child brings to them concerns about their own sexual identity. No matter how supportive your home is, you should have the freedom to do that on your own timeline. Mm-hmm. So that how old are how what how old are we talking about? Well, that goes kids? to older. That that goes oh, to okay. older kids. Okay. So that's that's the concern. <laughs> is it it's vague Not enough? Five year olds. This could cause cause issues. Anyway, so a guy who uh, is yeah. gay says support systems, sequencing, trust, and et cetera can become complex factors, even if an LGBT kid has a loving family at home, as I did. Uh, I don't like the general notion of schools withholding from parents, but if this provision means that particular type of disclosure would be mandatory, that would do damage for some kids. So Mm. there, I just, 
I just want to engage with what's actually there. <laughs> what, what, you, what you're searching for is something called nuance. Yeah. And yeah. it's lacking. Yeah. Uh, question for you. When did you learn in school about like reproduction? Uh, I want to say like it was a middle school yeah. timed thing. Yeah. Yeah. Sixth through eighth grade, probably. I was going to say fifth grade. Uh, yeah. for me. And, and when you read that, it's like, wow, that's gross. <laughs> I still <laughs> yes. feel that way, by the way. The health that. class uh, in middle school was always so deliciously uncomfortable for everyone. Just, oh, yeah, what yes, are we doing? Yes. Yes. Well, ours was separated by sex, which could still do it, but they don't oh, do that really? anymore. Look at you yeah. guys. I know I was a Catholic school and now everybody's all, I'm hearing about this now, like in real time. And it's yeah. uh, quite something, lots of reactions in the classroom. All right. And then, so, so we've, I, I want to a little bit uncancel that Florida bill. You can look at Guy mm-hmm. Vincent's tweet thread about it to yeah. learn more about what's yeah. there. Just, just let's deal with what the things that are actually in the bills we're talking about. That's right. Even Please. if you disagree with them, um, filling your, filling your tweet thread with the, with the word gay is not in opposition to this bill because the bill doesn't actually do that, but we should be wary of possible unintended unintended consequences. Okay. I'm also going to uncancel. I'm also going to uncancel Emma Camp. Emma Camp is a UVA student who wrote for the New York times this week, an op-ed entitled I'd came to college eager to debate. I found self-censorship instead. She writes, I went to college to learn from my professors and peers. I welcomed an environment that champions intellectual diversity and rigorous disagreement. Instead, my college experience has been defined by strict ideological conformity. Students of all political persuasions hold back in class discussions and friendly Mm. conversations on social media from saying what we really think. Even as a liberal who has attended abortion rights demonstrations and written about standing up to racism, I sometimes feel afraid to fully speak my mind. This seems self-evident to me on college campuses. Yeah. But here's what happened. First of all, I appreciate the New York Times printing it. Yeah. Big deal. Here's what happened to Emma Camp. (laughs) New York Times staff writers and a bunch of public intellectuals, alleged intellectuals and journalists piled on her much in the way that she describes <laughs> people in college piling on someone with whom they disagree, making them very right. uncomfortable. Right. And basically, but like it's amazing. So Nicole Hannah Jones, Dan Frumkin, Jamel Bowie, mm-hmm. a bunch of folks. This was the tone. Here's the tone. You loser. You thought you were going to come to school and debate things like that's insufferable. You're the worst. It is this very jockey anti-intellectual rant about how this spoiled young woman Mm -hmm. would expect to discuss things in college. Like she's a big dweeb because that was her expectation. Yeah. It's it, it, it's like people who uh, say, you know, we, we must not tolerate people whose opinions cannot be tolerated. Yeah. You know, the do not tolerate the intolerant. They're the ones who are being intolerant. And this is what's happening. And, and, and you know, again, they've become this case in point. I mean, they've just demonstrated QED. They just, you know, demonstrated her. They made the point for her for yes. Emma Camp. Yeah. Good for good for her. But I saw the, for example, I, I, I saw the, the, the tweets from, uh, I guess it was uh, Dan Frumkin, who had wanted to go after Emma Camp because of her affiliation with FIRE, right? The Foundation for Individual Rights Education. And saying, oh, this right-wing group. And then he had to dial it back and say, actually, they've done stuff on both sides. But, yeah. but the, this notion 
that the threat of free speech is coming from the left and the right is, is such a right-wing talking point, Frumkin says. And in fact, the best thing about that is telling people that it's a right-wing po- talking point is a great left-wing talking point. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's I, just, just, want your head, just want to explode, you know. So. The idea that this is controversial at all is depressing. No, it's sad. Um, the people among whom it is apparently offensive and deeply annoying are the exact, it, let me put it this way. If you're not uncomfortable voicing your opinions on campus and you think that anybody who says they are is full of it, perhaps you are the one doing the gatekeeping. Perhaps all of your opinions are in line with the ones you're supposed to have. And that is why you are comfortable and others are not. And I, it just, I speak on college campuses as often as I can, because I think they need people who think different things and I enjoy it. And I always find it to be a little intimidating when you first walk on campus because you you know people are going to dislike your point of view but they also need adults to encourage them to disagree when i go to college campuses i straight up just tell people feel free to disagree with me i welcome it it is not a problem you want to give them not just not just tell them to buck up you want to encourage them to think and to challenge things it is insane to me that this is the dumpster fire of intellectualism, public intellectualism in journalism and academia. It's it's bad news, guys. I'm two things. One, I don't think people want to hear disagreement anymore. So that idea, it just, you know, the idea that you would go to college for a diversity of opinion is, 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 is just not acceptable anymore. You must tell me that what I believe is right. And the people who are in power, if you are with them, then great. It works out for you. But the other thing is, I'm surprised you haven't been, you know, shouted down and protested against where you at this point for you yet. You know, Guy was Guy was one time he was was given an escape route and and there were flyers all over campus about him being a white supremacist. Um, Amazing. So I have not I've been like very lightly protested, mostly people are just slightly annoyed with me. That's the, that's the, that's the vibe I (laughs) inspire. (laughs) I can't actually imagine people wanting to be so angry that, you know, I'm not going to let you talk. You must not be permitted here at all. And where's my safe space on the other hand, you know, that's a state that we're in and it's depressing. Well, and that, and that's what these, the, the journalists and intellectuals, some of whom write for the New York times were saying, not just, I disagree with this column, the New York Times should not have printed this column. That's right. That, that's Those are two very different things. That's right. But here's the issue, is if you put yourself in a bubble where you never hear anything different from what you believe, sometimes you will miss out on important things. I have an exhibit. Ooh. The Democratic Party and Hispanic voter trends. Here's- There we go. Here's what's going on. There's a new Sp- Spanish language uh, conservative network on satellite radio. It is called Americano based in mm-hmm. Miami and Democrats are claiming the station will spread quote misinformation because like, you know, anything they did. Yeah. I mean, oh, Emma Camp's what... New York times op-ed is misinformation at this yeah, point. That's right. <laughs> the founder says they're scared and they should be Democrats took Hispanics for granted for too long. And no one thought to create a home for us in conservative media. There is an appetite for this. You see it on social media. You see it in elections. You can miss these things if you're only consuming media and people with whom you agree. 
And one Democratic pollster says, indeed, that is a problem. Democrats, this is a a pollster in this story, says Democrats' response to all of this Hispanic outreach from Republicans, whether it's disinformation or conventional campaigning, is to do the bare minimum. Unfortunately, some Democrats are deluding themselves. The ultimate act of disinformation is to pretend this is not a big problem. Do you remember how Democrats were confounded by the 2020 election results? Even though Donald Trump lost, he had more gains uh, among minorities, particularly Hispanics, than previous, more right. palatable uh, Republican candidates, shall we say? And that can, and, and they're like, well, it's got to be a difference between, I don't know, white Latinos versus real re- Latinos. I mean, it was insane. And they're so- talking about. Hispanics who actually live on the border and it confounded them. Of course, you know, these people don't live on the border. They're not at, you know, Fort McAllen or wherever they're, you know, but the people who are there, they have legitimate concerns about the border, about illegal uh, uh, immigration and about drugs. And that is what's driving that. And if the Democrats refuse to acknowledge this, then it's going to be for the Republicans gain. Yeah. I, and this is an area where I had to, uh, I had to admit my own mistakes, which is that I thought, you know, the sort of Bush era appeal to Hispanic Mm -hmm. voters, a Jeb Bush appeal to Hispanic voters, a more friendly uh, vibe than than the Trump approach, say a Marco Rubio doing Mm -hmm. something along those lines was the more effective approach and something that I cheered for for a long time. But you know what? It wasn't that effective. And then what, what Trump did actually was effective. And I think this is a little bit of that classes issue that you see where yeah. if you don't deal with the kitchen table issues and the things that are bothering people in yeah. their actual lives, yeah, then they will turn on you. And I think this has right. been exacerbated, exacerbated in these groups of voters by gas prices, mm-hmm. by inflation, by the schools and how they dealt with mm-hmm. COVID-19. So you have some new evidence. This is CNN reporting from the Texas primaries. There are 16 counties in Texas where Hispanics make up at least 80% of the citizen voting age population. The county with the highest percentage of Hispanic adult citizens backed now President Joe Biden by five points in 2020 after voting for Hillary Clinton by 60 points four years earlier. Yes, a margin of. That is a 55-point swing. That is a huge deal. And in primaries this week, that county showed a marked increase in turnout for Republicans. Yeah. And so this is, this is going to remain, this should be a red flag, but again, if you're just canceling Emma camp and not paying attention to it (laughs) in your own little bubble, and that's fine. You can stay there, but I'm surprised they didn't want to call the, the network El Zorro, which is Spanish (laughs) for Fox. Maybe they they can have a show called the Cinco. It's a, it's Americano, which it's Americano, which is yeah, that's as good. It happens, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. As it happens, is a kind of coffee, which we're now going to talk about. Oh hey, how about that? Look, nice. this is a, this is an important topic for us. Look, as if as if Vic, the public health industry, had not lost enough faith from me already. I find yes. this Cleveland Clinic article Cleveland telling Clinic. me, yeah, yeah, Cleveland Clinic article telling me that coffee does not help cure a hangover. <laughs> And, and put you away were, your hopes and dreams, Vic. Yeah, no, and then and 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 were you a believer in coffee as a sort of uh, a salad? Well, the next thing they're going to tell me is that a very greasy Bojangles biscuit does not solve a hangover, <laughs> and I know that's not true. No, no, no. Uh, I was actually, I was frankly not surprised that they would well, come to this conclusion. It's fair. Okay, look, coffee is a diuretic; it can be yeah. dehydrating, and yes. dehydration is your actual problem. By the way, 
here's how you, here's how you actually solve a hangover. When I was in, in my younger days, I hung out, <laughs> I had some, a, a friend who was married to a, a guy who was a Navy corpsman and buddies with a bunch of Navy, Navy corpsmen. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would have a big day drinking, watching college football. And then the next day they'd be, you know, pretty hungover and give themselves IVs. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. Wow. So that's, that is an instant cure, isn't it? So, now that will fix a hangover. That does involve needles. Hard pass. It, it does. It does. I, I would, I would say my, my, my personal opinion on this, my, my, my strategy, if you have gone out and you had a great time, you, you went, you know, you, 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 you went on some sort of a bender and you come back home before you, before you pass out, take two Advil, a glass of water, and then it will lessen the effect. But at the end of the day, for me personally, I have come to the, after many years of experience, I have come to the conclusion that time is the only cure. It just, you know, I know I feel horrible. And I'm like, you know what? This is what the Cleveland Clinic says. I know, no, I think I'm with them. No, I think I'm with them. Damn the science. Damn the, the, the science. Co- the coffee will keep you awake if you're about to pass out, but- but the but it's not gonna it's not gonna make you feel as drunk. Yes, I do. Uh, the, yeah, the, the Cleveland Clinic does say that 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 if you are slammed, your black coffee is not gonna help you. The, and the, I the, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The black coffee will not stop the black out. But <laughs> but uh, I would say time and two things I have found very healing for a hangover is miso soup, or huh. like a or pho 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 the Vietnamese soup pho. It's very healing. My wife and I would we would go to a place like on a Sunday, you know, yeah. down the street, the Saigon Girl, whatever the name, the Nam Viet, and it was. I, I always said it had restorative properties. I wonder what, is the yeah. I wonder is the salt is the sodium helping you absorb water? It is must. that what's going on? It must. You're that that would that would suggest there's uh, salt in those soups, and I I don't know. I don't want to find out. <laughs> uh, so and for well, you, you say you go you go with grease. Yeah, I need I need Waffle House. I need Bojangles. I just go, nice. We're going straight back to the high yeah. school diet. Yeah, yeah, I know that's As good. soon as I'm as soon as uh, I'm hungover, use it right and, now. And I do think I need the uh, I need some form of caffeine for the headache. And this this Cleveland Clinic nonsense tells me that <laughs> the, that the coffee, even though it has caffeine, might narrow blood vessels and raise blood pressure, thereby Eesh. amplifying my headache. And that I do not believe. I'm rejecting the science, Vic. Yeah, well, you know, I, you can do that. You can do that. You can also do hair of the dog. You know, I, does that actually work? A little Bloody Mary to take the edge off. I may have a problem. Uh, okay. That? <laughs> now that we've now that we've gone through our encyclopedic knowledge on yeah, hangover. Yeah, I mean, cures. clearly we, we you, listeners can tell what we know the most about. Uh, <laughs> that wraps up, I think, another edition of Getting Hammered. Remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, and you can follow me on Twitter at Victorina Mattis. Please tell your friends. Yes, I am at MK Hammer on Twitter, at MK Hammer Time on Instagram and Substack. Thank you for being here. Please tell all your friends and get subscribed. It is a good time. This has been a Nebulous Media Podcast. Okay.